I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so, so thrilled to have my next guest here. It is truly an honor. We have Mitch Kapoor, who is the entrepreneur and co-author amongst other things, of closing the equity gap. And I am so, so thrilled to have him here, uh, not only to chat about his brand new book, which is awesome, that he co-authored with his wife, Frida, but also just to talk overall about uh, being an entrepreneur and his journey. Mitch, by the way, for those who are not familiar with with him is a pioneer in the personal computing industry, most notably founding Lotus Development Corporation and designing the iconic Lotus 123 spreadsheet. But he's also the founding partner of Kapoor Capital, which focuses on investing in early stage startups that address urgent social needs and transform industries. And I'm super, super excited to hear not only about his journey, but also about investing and, of course, the incredible book, Closing the Equity Gap. So welcome, Mitch. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. So before we get into your terrific book, I would love to start where I think of when I hear your name over the many years that I've also been in Silicon Valley, but uh, Lotus. So how did you come up with this idea? Uh, Well, this was at the dawn of the personal computer era. I mean, really early days. So even before uh, businesses were adopting personal computers. But it was clear to me, a few people, that these productivity tools, spreadsheets, word processors, and the like, were going to be very empowering and really be a game changer by putting computing power in the hands of non-technical individuals. That had never happened. And so um, a huge event back then was when IBM introduced a personal computer. Mm -hmm. Before that, people were using Apple II, Commodore PET, uh, Radio Shack, uh, kind of more hobbyist than not. But IBM had a big brand uh, and also a much more powerful machine. So we made a bet that by customizing a spreadsheet, because we weren't the first spreadsheet, but taking full advantage of the greater memory and the faster processor speed and the brand of IBM, that we could really do something that would uh, resonate uh, in in, in the marketplace. Uh, We made it as easy to use as possible and as powerful as we could. I had a great co-founder, technical genius. I was kind of the, I was the designer and the product manager and we were in the right place at the right time. And so I'll tell you, we, when we, I wrote the business plan, it said $3 million in sales. This was 1983. We actually did $53 million in our first year and then wow. tripled. So the world really was waiting for a reason, the business world, 
to buy a desktop computer and Lotus 123 was it. And we became the dominant software company of, of that era. That's crazy. Well, I, yeah. I remember, I remember that so well. Um, and it's, uh, I think you answered my next question. Did you ever imagine that it would be as big as it became? Yeah. No, we knew we had done a great product, but I didn't have any idea of how the, how large the market, uh, was going to be, or that we would we would rise to the top, and so I called it. Uh, what happened with Lotus after we shipped was sort of a success disaster. We had this explosive growth in the company. We went from no employees to a couple of thousand employees. Uh, really, we were that 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 template that later you know Google and Facebook and others have gone through. We we were sort of the the the, the zeroth iteration of that, and just trying to um, stay on top of it all was a, a interesting, huge, and often terrifying challenge as an entrepreneur. When you think back, when you've obviously mentored many entrepreneurs, what was the most difficult part of building and scaling what you did? It is that the skills that it takes to go from zero to one, to start, to bring a product to market, to lead a small team, are completely different than the skills you need to take something from, say, 20 or 30 people to 100 or 1,000 people, how you manage it, uh, how you communicate, what role you play as the founder, it all changes and changes again and changes again. And so when you're riding that kind of rocket ship, you either have to be really good mm-hmm. <laughs> at, uh, at a- adaptation or um, it's, not the right, it's not the right role to play. And so you're constantly overcoming your own self-doubt, deciding what you really want to do. I mean, I was a serial entrepreneur, only that term was not in the vocabulary. So I didn't have role models of, okay, I can start this and hand it over and then go start something else. So yeah, managing the growth and not being overwhelmed by it, biggest challenge. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works, and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
no English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. So I went out to uh, the the Twitter audience yesterday and I told people that I was interviewing you and uh, there were a few questions that people asked. One of them that I thought was interesting, if you could go back in time to the year before Excel was released by Microsoft, maybe one year prior, would you do anything differently? Before X, Excel was released? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> there is. Um, sometimes... Well, as a designer, what I would have done is kept it simple and taken the same Lotus 1, 2, 3 and moved it 
over to the Macintosh, which is where Excel came out, and then moved it to Windows. Not try to reinvent, go to the next level, do something even fancier, but really stick to the bread and butter basics, but spread it across every computing platform uh, that looked like it had potential. Lotus didn't do that. And I, I left in the, in the middle of this to do other things. So some of this was on my watch. Most of it, uh, was not, but Excel by being, you know, the first graphical user interface spreadsheet, first for the Mac and then ultimately for Windows, really, they were writing the right platform mm -hmm. choice. And Lotus, after I was gone, didn't make that choice and it, it was fatal. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So you designed it and you stayed on as CEO until you ultimately replaced yourself. Yeah. How did you make that decision? I know there it's frequently, uh, you know, they're CEOs. Maybe some of them are founders, some of them aren't. How do you make that decision? How did I make that decision? I think in a word, poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I had painted myself into a corner. I wish I my self of today could have been around to give me advice then on what to do about building uh, a different kind of C-suite and a different kind of board. But I just felt trapped. And there was a guy who was uh, very aggressive in the senior management and, and was really trying to take it all on. And at a certain point, I just said, I'm leaving. It's yours. And it was um, not, it was a bad exit. And I sort of learned a huge amount from it uh, about succession planning. But by the time, uh, you know, back then it was all happening so fast. And there was not, this was 1985, 86. Mm -hmm. Today, there are hundreds of more senior people, mentors, advisors. You can, if you're a fledgling entrepreneur, you can get help. Back then, I felt much more sort of isolated. And so... I learned a lot about how you, you know, when, when, when you hire, when you promote, when you choose people uh, to have, you know, that trust is very important. Uh, alignment around uh, values is really important. And I would have made a really different set of choices, really different, but water under the bridge of, you know, well, and you obviously have done really, really well. You went on after Lotus to co-found the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the founding chair of Mozilla Foundation, uh, which is the creator of the Firefox uh, web browser. You also serve on the board of an incredible company that I'm familiar with, Smash, the summer math and science honors academy, uh, which is really, really awesome. And obviously you're uh, doing a ton of investing through uh, Kapoor Capital in early stage startups that address the urgent social needs. And now you've written a, or I should say co-written a terrific book with your co-author and wife, Frida, called Closing the Equity Gap. Why did you decide to write this book? Well, the book is really the story of the last dozen years of work, this, this professional chapter that was unexpected, but very, for which I'm very grateful, uh, about, uh, investing with a really different lens on, on impact, uh, and on diversity. I mean, because Tapor Capital, uh, started out as an experiment a dozen years ago. And when Frida started nudging me, I was doing a lot of angel investing at that point. She said, this is great. 
Some of these things are big hits. But what about investing in a way that is more aligned with your own personal values? Mm-hmm. And I was very skeptical. I said, I'll miss out on all the hot deals. I just have to like, yeah, I just have to go for whatever I think is going to be big. But Frida can be very persuasive. And, <laughs> and, and, and I thought she might be right. So we started an experiment. And the book is the story of what happened with that experiment. And that experiment was, what if we invest only in companies that specifically are gap closing? And what I mean by that is that they, their, their core purpose, their mission, what they do is to close gaps of access or of opportunity or of outcome for low-income communities uh, or, or communities of color. Uh, can we do that in a way that has impact that is measurable, but also produces top tier financial returns. And we didn't know when we started this. And the book is case studies of companies we've invested in, the fantastic founders, their lived experience, what they've created, the problems that they're solving, and what our outcomes have been. And, you know, spoiler alert, um, over a, a decade and 150 companies, we produced uh, top quartile financial results. In other words, in the top 25% of all venture funds uh, of our size, regardless of, of how they invest. And the reason that's so striking is it defies all conventional wisdom, which says in the investing world, in the venture capital world, if you... Um, pay attention to impact anything but uh, financial returns, you're actually going to sacrifice or compromise those returns. Our data and our stories and our portfolio says otherwise. And the book lays all of that out to share with the world. And what we learned along the way and the mistakes that we made in our, uh, you know, investing best practices and, and, and also you just meet some fabulous entrepreneurs in the book. Your business is growing and customers love what you're doing, but to keep them coming back, you need to keep adding value and engaging them at every level. That's where Thinkific Plus can help. Thinkific Plus is easy to use, tough to beat. So what is it? Thinkific Plus is a powerful learning platform that you can use to engage your customers, a platform that provides businesses with a powerful way to keep customers vendors, partners, or employees educated, informed, and trained. Plus, did I mention how easy it is to use? And with Thinkific Plus, you get more than just robust features. You also get a dedicated customer success team that is seriously dedicated to helping you reach your goals of engaging with who matters most. So many businesses rely on Thinkific Plus to make their goals happen. Businesses like Hootsuite, for example, one of the world's most widely used social media management platforms. They use Thinkific Plus to host their online training site, Hootsuite Academy, offering everything from online courses for social media marketing, as well as platform training. By using Thinkific Plus, they've been able to train and certify nearly a half million consumers in social media marketing. It's really all pretty awesome. Start educating your customers at scale. Thinkific Plus is a great option for anyone who wants that straightforward choice. Sign up now for one incredible offer. 
our listeners get one free month of Thinkific Plus when you use the special code. Go to thinkific.com slash Kara. That's K-A-R-A to start educating your customers at scale. Get your free month with promo code Kara. K-A-R-A. That's thinkific.com slash Kara. That's think, I-F-I-C dot com slash Kara. Thinkific.com slash Kara. Why don't you think more VCs are doing this? I mean, it, it, I think it takes patience uh, for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what is your... What's your feeling? Do you think patience is not something that most uh, VCs understand or are are willing to kind of sit with? I I think it may be less a matter of patience and more that people simply accept the conventional wisdom because this is what what they learn and what's taught in business school, and they have uh, you know a, a mind wrong you know. There's some ignorance also. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for instance, when you invest in a founder, how important is their pedigree? Do you need to have a BS in computer science from Stanford? Do you need to have gone to Harvard? We have a very contrarian view that that stuff is almost utterly irrelevant. We're very interested in distance traveled. It's like meaning if you look at someone and you say, how far have they come in life already? What hurdles and barriers have they overcome based on their own, you know, own efforts? Mm-hmm. And to the extent that they, you know, have succeeded in that, it tells you a lot about persistence and resilience and characteristics of successful entrepreneurs. And so our we make a different set of choices about talent to back. And I think if you don't have that lens though, uh, and you have a conventional lens, you're going to miss out on all this. You're just not going to see these opportunities or you're going to write them off. Uh, and so part of what it takes is, uh, some, you know, shift in mindset about how we think about what success is likely to look like, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in doing startup. And honestly, there's a bit of more than a bit of herd mentality in Silicon Valley. I mean, let's, you know, and so. Uh, you really have to step up and challenge it. And where we've had, I would say, the most impact in in altering people's thinking is this. We have companies that uh, have these amazing founders with big distance traveled stories that don't look like the founders are used to. We do the seed stage uh, and they do well. Then they go and raise an A from mainstream VCs who look and say, this is a great business. Mm-hmm. And they make a decision they otherwise wouldn't have made. That gets them rethinking. <laughs> oh, oh, well, what about more folks like this? And how do you do this? And because they see they they want these, they want to win these deals and they're not the usual deals. So uh really believe rather than trying to make abstract arguments about why diversity is good or why impact is good, it sort of you want real world examples of companies that are, you know, are are doing things differently, are having that positive impact, whether it could be in healthcare, it could be in fintech, it it could be in job creation. It's not about the sector. It's about whether the company is closing a gap. That's hence the title of the book. Definitely. So let's talk about the founder's commitment. Can you explain about the founder's commitment? Sure, sure. So uh, 
this actually uh, was 2016. I think we were the first, to our knowledge, venture firm to uh, make it a requirement that when we won't write a check uh, without a company committing to building a diverse workforce and an inclusive culture. This is the founder's commitment. And it's not a matter of quotas. It is not a matter of us dictating uh, uh, what to do. We provide resources on our platform team to actually help companies with recruiting and building a diverse workforce and helping with uh, inclusivity in the culture. But we are looking for that uh, commitment. Uh, And uh, we use it as a criterion to invest, but also to reinvest. So we look at down the road because, you know, in the, the next round, and the next round after that, obviously you look at the traction the company is getting and their progress against goals. But these companies all have goals around diversity and inclusion. And we have a convert. If, if they've disregarded them, mm-hmm. if they haven't just paid lip service and haven't paid any attention to it at all, like then that's a negative signal for us about, you know, Re, re, reinvesting. So, uh, and other number of other venture firms have either adopted a f- the founder's commitment or something analogous to it saying it's important and it's just part of the fabric of how we, how we work as investors. So you have more pipeline than you could possibly invest in. How do you select among too many deserving projects vying for your attention? Well, so this is really an issue. I think for all venture firms, the amount of inbound interest and inquiries, I mean, typically, you know, we might do 15, 20 new investments a year or something like that. And we get thousands uh, of, 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 of inquiries, uh, as do others. Mm-hmm. But we do some very specific things. So first, we're very clear about what our investment criteria are. They're up on the website and we, we practice, you know, what we preach so that um, people can uh, self-select. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can know whether is this a gap-closing company, you know, uh, uh, you know, or not. That's one thing. Two, we don't require a warm intro. We, in fact, think warm intros where you have to know someone who knows someone in the firm actually winds up, uh, you know, restricting uh, the pool of, uh, you know, so. We have a process and a set of questions, uh, a little short form on the website. I think we may have been the first or among the first to do this, that every we ask everybody to go through. Uh, it ensures a fair process. And I can tell you that there's no, there's no secret sauce. The investment team uh, takes very seriously going through each and every one of those and responding. But because our criteria are clear, uh, and we ask people to do a little bit of work in submitting the form. Uh, it just becomes part of the part of the routine to process these three thousand. And we have, uh, on uh, more than one occasion, written a check to uh, a founder and a team. We didn't know. We didn't really know people that they knew. It came in, you know, through the website, but it it was it it fit. It was a great business and mm-hmm. and doing really well. So, you know, it takes a commitment. Yeah, and I think yeah. Got to put you. You have to us or anybody else. You really have to be prepared to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And that's that's the issue for the the whole industry. Well, I loved. I, I was reading an article. I think uh, that that you wrote or uh, somebody wrote it about 
your process, but funding a company is often tough for first-time founders, not to mention women and multicultural founders. What do you see are some of the mistakes that some founders are making? I, I'll, I'll give you a, a hint that the, the article that I thought was fascinating was that while people might pitch you on kind of what they're doing, they don't really have, they're not so open to sharing their backstory of kind of where they came from. Right. And I thought that was fascinating. Well, um, a mission-oriented founder will get advice from conventional investors, not to mention that or to mention diversity in their deck. They'll say, take it out Mm -hmm. uh, because people don't want to hear that and they're not going to invest. That's just the conventional wisdom. But when people do that, how can we find each other if they hide who they are? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, uh, we, we we think people should be clear about <laughs> what their, their their fundamental commitments uh, are. But you know more than that, um, I could think of several key things when people are just starting out. That's important to get right or have consequences if you get wrong. I mean, one is to understand if you really have a venture scale business. Mm-hmm. There are many important uh, uh, gap closing kinds of activities. But they're never going to be huge businesses to justify millions of dollars of investment. You need to find a different path if you're going to if you're going to do that. Uh, uh, and so knowing uh, uh, you, you can't just have a good idea. You have to at the beginning have a plausible argument as a founder. If you're trying to raise millions of dollars, that you can actually build a big business. And that's not an exercise that everybody goes through or really knows how to do. Uh, I mean, similarly, um, if you've been outside of Silicon Valley, outside the, the, the mainstream, you may not understand what the, the kind of stages are. Mm-hmm. And so sort of to come in with just uh, an idea uh, and not experience or a track record, even if it's a great idea, but no team, no code, you're not going to go raise a multi-million dollar seed round. Mm-hmm. Um but there are accelerator programs of all over the country now, various kinds, and there are ones oriented to women, to first-time entrepreneurs, to entrepreneurs of color, uh, and so on, that can actually help in those very, very formative stages before you actually try to go. And, and they often come with some funding because founders we're talking about, <laughs> you can't tell them, oh, well, go do your friends and family round because their friends and family don't have, you know, money right. to, you know, to, to put in, but there are an increasing number of, uh, you know, of, of, of alternatives. And so I think one of the piece of good news is there are so many more resources out there now that are low cost or entirely free for first time entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color. And there are com- communities and discussion groups and all sorts of things that you're not so alone anymore. It's a journey that you can and should take, you know, with with other people. And that helps. I know that's great advice. So yeah. four companies uh, of the Upside Tech Alliance are prominently yeah. featured in the book. Can you describe the creation of this alliance and where it began and how far it's come? Sure. So um, one of the things that we do for portfolio companies is every summer we gather um, a 
a group of them uh, on Martha's Vineyard for a kind of retreat. It gives them chances for the founders to hang out with each other, but we bring uh, interesting people uh, in to meet with. I mean, it's the sort of thing that VC firms do. One year, we were incredibly fortunate, really by more than a bit of luck, to have President Obama, he was at that former President Obama, come and meet with a group of 18 of uh, folks for a, a, a private meeting for an hour and a half to just talk about, he talked to each one about what they did. And I mean, it was an amazing event. Folks were so inspired that a group of them decided to that they really wanted to work together more intently because these were all companies that um, had uh, solutions that uh, address themselves to urgent social problems in cities, with job creation, uh, uh, air quality, things like that. And out of that uh, common interest in how do we more effectively bring our solutions to uh, the public sector, to, to cities uh, and to states, that was the birth of the Upside uh, Tech Alliance. And as a group, uh, they have, and we provided some support, gone to the U.S. Conference of Mayors and other uh, groups like that and did pitches in a pitch competition and, and really uh, developed that uh, uh, channel. Because in, uh, so for instance, uh, let me give a company example. There's a company called Acloma. Mm -hmm. uh, they do hyper-local air quality monitoring, uh, which nobody else can do. They've got a little box that sits in the back of a, like a Google mapping car that drives around the city or, or the equivalent. And they can, on a block-by-block -block basis, measure the air quality across the entire spectrum. And it turns out in cities, you do not want to live downwind of, of a factory or an emitter. Well, mayors and their staffs can now target where these pollution hotspots are in cities and do something about it. Uh, but And who lives downwind typically of this? It's low-income communities. So this is a gap-closing kind of business. So how do you, and, and they now, Acloma uh, is in California, New York. They have statewide initiatives. It's an example of a company in this Upside Tech Alliance that is really showing how private sector, you know, startups, tech startups can really in a huge way, uh, attack social problems and issues. So that's one of the several companies uh, in this. So do you sit on boards as people are coming in to Kapoor Capital, or do you typically kind of roll up your sleeves? It sounds like you're having fun trying to think about some of these businesses yeah. too. So I love entrepreneurs. I love working with them. Uh, it gives me the greatest uh, uh, professional joy and satisfaction in life. And so um, I, I am on some boards, but what's very important to note is that in the past couple of years, Frida and I have turned over the leadership of Cape Or Capital to our younger partners, Brian Dixon and Ulili Onavakpuri. And we talk about them and their uh, distance traveled stories uh, in, uh, in the book, uh, they raised um, $126 million fund, that's Capor Capital Three, which they're the co-managing partners of. Uh, 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 and they are leading the whole investment team now. Uh, Frida and I are uh, uh, 
anchor LPs in that fund, but we still have a large number of active investments made over the last decade. And that's, that's where my board seats are. Mm-hmm. But Brian and Ulili, you know, it's, it's one of the largest black led uh, venture funds and they are a, a full, full service firm that they and the whole investment team, the other investors, the, 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 the platform team, uh, you know, uh, looking at thousands of new inquiries a year, making new investments, taking board seats, all that. That's awesome. So you get yeah, to do- couldn't be proud, Could not be prouder of them. You get to do the fun stuff, right? You get to yeah. think about this. I saw you were uh, uh, at the EdTech conference down in San Diego. And uh, yes. and so uh, what excites you about EdTech these days? Well, what excites, one of the things that excites me is- the use of generative AI by some by the gap closing ed tech companies to provide uh, well, there's a company called Numerade that does really inexpensive, really high quality tutoring using uh, uh, generative AI examples of with synthesized video and audio and Blackboard that just cover the entire spectrum of STEM. Uh, 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 classes, uh, uh, high school uh, and college textbooks with the exercises and answers. And they'd been doing quite well for several years. But when they hooked up the generative AI, their coverage, their reach uh, just expanded uh, of content, expanded dramatically. And, you know, for like eight bucks a month, you can... All of this is open to you. You don't need to have a $300 an hour tutor, which you can't afford. And so uh, using, you know, AI to accelerate gap closing in ed tech is a super exciting area. That's that's awesome. The name of that company again is New- Numerade, N-U-M-E-R-A-D-E. Amazing. So I was going to ask you about, yeah. uh, about AI, not only- uh, oh. Everybody's talking about it these days, but uh, but what scares you about AI? The pace at, of deployment of it as a technology is extraordinarily rapid, and government and regulation cannot keep pace with it. It's never been able to. It couldn't do it, you know, with the internet. Uh, resulting in messes we still don't know how to clean up with, you know, hate speech and uh, disinformation and endless arguments about Section 230, (laughs) you know. uh, And so here we are once again with uh, AI uh, facing that only the, you know, adoption of uh, ChatGPT went from zero to 100 million people in, I don't know, overnight, basically. And so... um, the unfolding consequences of we don't know what we're getting ourselves into uh, is are, are big. I was around and involved at the birth of the commercial internet in the 1990s. And I, I will tell you, back then, the people doing it were almost all just optimistic mm-hmm. and lived, we, we lived in our own bubble and were not thinking about all of the things that people would do with it. I mean, including all the bad things people are capable of. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lack of foresight there and, uh, you know, concerned, greatly concerned about a, a, a repetition of that, but, you know, with much higher stakes. 
Well, closing the gap or closing the equity gap, I should say, is an awesome, awesome book. Everybody needs to get their hands on this. Um, but one last question while I have yes. you here. So yeah. best advice that you've ever received? I actually think that I can't, I've been asked this in the past and I have a new answer. Okay. I love <laughs> it. Um I think your personal relationships, whether in your personal life or in business, are, are precious and the most important resource. So try to do it on the basis of developing mutual trust. Mm -hmm. Don't be transactional. <laughs> Don't be exploitative. But really uh, come from your whole self, including your heart, and expect the same. And I think that is the path of greatest greatest happiness uh, and uh, 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 least regret and, and, and greatest fulfillment for yourself and for others. A beautiful way to say that. Thank you so much, Mitch, you're, for you're very coming on and uh, for all the great insights and conversation. And we'll have all of the information that you talked about in the show notes, include, including uh, closing the equity gap uh, and uh, Poor Capital and everything else. So thank you again. Have a great rest of the week, everyone. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023. And goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.